and welcome to The Activator, a podcast dedicated to helping you develop confidence and strategies to share your faith. My name's Josh Duell, and on today's episode, I'm going to be continuing on my conversation with Rebecca Manley Pippert. She's an international speaker, evangelist, and author of many different books. If you missed episode one, be, for, be sure to go back and take a listen to it because it was full of great information. On today's episode, we're going to be talking about how to transition a conversation into a spiritual one, how to recognize the evangelism opportunities around us amidst COVID, how to utilize them, um, how to address the defenses that our unsaved friends bring to us before they even bring them. Um, and then we're going to conclude by talking about some great questions that can help in our evangelistic conversations. Uh, fantastic combo with Rebecca today. I know you're going to enjoy it, so thanks for tuning in. You're saying that we're contending less on the battleground of what's true and makes sense than we used to and more on the relational um, grounds. And and I'm, I'd like to hear what you'd have to say of like why, from your perspective, do you think Christians aren't telling others about Christ? You've trained people yeah. all over the world, North America, yeah. European contexts. What's holding people back from doing this? You know, before we did the seven years in the UK, we did eight years before that, based in America, but that is when we did the world, my husband and I, um, where we did the global north, so that would be <clears throat> obviously North America, um, uh, UK and Europe, Australia, um, who am I leaving out? Uh, and then the, the global south would be Africa, South America, Asia. And so there's a big difference between those two because the secularized part of the global north that they're struggling the most. Evangelism isn't a problem in the global south. They're, they're, they're expanding, but we are struggling in the global north in Western culture. Why? I have heard, because we've traveled so much, I always hear the same things. And in fact, what I did is when I wrote Stay Salt, the book that just came out, I did it in three sections that were completely in relationship to what I always heard. What's the first thing we always hear? Uh, Becky, I can't. I can't uh, share my faith. I just can't. Why? Uh, I feel so inadequate. Well, what's the point there? Of course we're inadequate. Yeah. I mean, I mean, that's a given. And isn't it freeing to know? That's why. And, and then the other thing I'd always hear, that the first thing is, I'm inadequate. Evangelism is not my gift. I'm not an evangelist. And I have the wrong personality. Hmm. You know, I'm, I'm not an extroverted American like you hmm. are. You know, I've got, which I am an extroverted American. Mm -hmm. But it is, um, that would always be the first thing. And that is why the first section of Stay Salt is on the means. God hasn't left us empty-handed. He's given us the supernatural resources that we need. Um, uh, God is, well, let me, wait, let me say something else about that. Okay, so um, when we look at the resources that God has given us and the fact that people say, well, it's not my gift and I'm introverted, all right, we've got to first go back to Jesus' command. What did Jesus say? Let me tell you what he didn't say. What he didn't say was, go ye therefore, all ye extroverts, yeah. all ye with dynamic relational yeah. skills, 
And, uh, uh, you know, okay, all you Baptists, go and make disciples. The rest of you, just hang out. You're okay. Sing some hymns. I'll be back before you know it. Go read a the book. The Lord's... Yeah, exactly. The Lord said to all of us, everyone, he commands us to be witnesses. He doesn't say, uh, be an evangelist. That's a, that's a gift, and it's a gift some have, but he's called everyone to be a witness, and here's the key. Joshua, he doesn't say one word about our gifts or our temperament, because it's not relevant. Mm -hmm. That's the thing that may surprise people. It's not about personality. He's going to use every kind of personality. And it's not about our giftedness. We're all called to be witnesses. Now, what's the other thing that will give us hope in this section on the means? God is the great evangelist. And he dwells within us through the Holy Spirit. Mm -hmm. We have been given the power of the Holy Spirit, the power of the gospel, the power of his word, the power of Jesus' love. It's in us, and God will use us in our weakness. We've got to quit complaining about being weak. Look at Paul and his thorn in the flesh. What did Jesus say when when Paul was really saying, in essence, take it away. I don't want to be weak. And the Lord said, Paul, my power is made perfect in your weakness. And what does Paul say? Okay, then, he says to us, as we're reading, okay, then, he says, uh, then uh, he celebrates. He says, I'm going to glory in my weakness. I'm not going to be ashamed of it. I'm going to glory in it because when I'm weak, then I'm strong. Mm -hmm. And oh, my goodness, that is so critical. What's the second thing I always hear? We always hear, and that's why the second section is on this, uh, oh, I just don't know enough. I don't know enough about the gospel. I just don't feel I know enough about, I understand the message. And so the second section of the book is on the message of Jesus Christ from, you know, creation, fall, redemption, um, the cross, Christ's return, a resurrection, Christ's return. But here's what we need to do. We need to understand what we believe and how exciting it is. Then we need to know, and that's what this section is, what kind of pushback am I going to get? What an unchristian is going to meet, no matter what aspect of the gospel we're talking about, what kind of pushback am I going to get? And so that's part of what that section does. But then thirdly, as I really think we miss this, how do I tie the gospel? And by that I mean you're in a dialogue with somebody that goes, well, I don't believe in sin anyway. Okay. Or, or, but then they talk about their tremendous anxiety and take, you know, pills for, you know, depression or whatever. And I mean, that's serious. But how do we tie the gospel and help them see the beauty of the gospel to the very longings they have? How do we connect mm. it? That's such such a vital component to um, to to do just that. Point out how their longings are fulfilled in Christ, and your section in the book did an amazing, amazing job on that. So that's worth the price of admission alone. Sorry, I cut you off. You know, to keep going. No, that no, no. Um, one of the stories I tell in that section on the message is uh, my hairdresser in London uh, was gay and um, is gay, and we were good friends. And he, sh- I shared my faith. He shared his life. He probably was more of an agnostic. wasn't sure if there was a God than he was an atheist. But one day I happened to walk in, and he looked so depressed. 
And I finally said, are you going to tell me what's wrong? And he's, I said, you're just so sad. And he said, do you know you are the first person that actually looked into my eyes and actually saw my face? Becky, I am so depressed. And he said, you know I have a partner. My partner has left me. I thought I had finally met the, the one that could name me and give me identity. And I worshipped him. And he said, I, I am so depressed. I don't know where to go. And um, oh, he said, but you're probably going to say because I'm gay, it was inevitable. And I said, no, that's not what I was going to say. I said, what's interesting is just a week ago, a good friend of mine who isn't also not a Christian, and she's living with uh, her partner, and she's straight, she's not gay, uh, um, but she told me that he left her. And she's critically, I, I mean, she's, she's clinically depressed. I said, what interests me is that you both said that you worshipped your partners. I find that very revealing. And he said, why? I said, because we are worshippers. We really do have a worshipping nature. And it isn't something you should shun. It's not a mistake that you want to worship. Don't think you're a fool that you wanted to worship. It's a good thing. I said, but the problem is, and, and we've all got this problem, is that we keep trying to worship something that isn't big enough to build our lives upon. Yeah. We try to worship something that can't name us, can't give us identity, can't ultimately answer our, our greatest needs. He goes, that is unbelievable. My partner said to me, I'm not God. It's exhausting. <laughs> you know, and then he put down, remember, he put down the hairdryer and he looks at me in the mirror, you know, because I'm looking at him in the yeah. mirror and he looks at me, turns my chair around, looks at me eyeball to eyeball. And he goes, are you telling me the reason I am so depressed is that I've been worshiping the wrong thing? <laughs> I said, yes, and so have I. Oh, wow. I said, we've all done it, all of us. We have all tried to put all our marbles in a basket that can't sustain us. Mm. Anyway, I, there's much more to that What an story. amazing story. What an amazing story. But, I, and I think that those opportunities come up around us all the time. And your exactly. writing does a really, really good job of helping us notice some of those Holy Spirit moments. Like you mentioned at the beginning, the Holy Spirit's at work all of the time. He's already working in people exactly. around us. We need to grow sensitive, and that's why it's so imperative that um, prayer kind of precedes all of our efforts so that we're led and um, by the Holy oh, Spirit in is, the middle of it. Oh, it is foundational, and mm -hmm. it's probably the thing that's most missed, you know? Yeah. Well, the third thing that I always hear is, okay, but Becky, I don't know how to do it. How do you even bring up the topic of faith? I don't mm -hmm. know how to start. Sure. What if they ask me questions I can't answer? So the third section of the book is on the model. On the when I say the word method, I don't mean formula. I mean more model. How can we? Um, how can we pray and ask God? Yeah, we pray and ask God to lead us to people He's seeking. But how do we do it? How do we find common ground with non Christians? How do we ask questions? How do we listen? How do we address their issues? How do we? Um, uh, just, just all the things that are a part of what it means to really be effective as witnesses. So that is what that section is about. Mm. Um, and not assuming that people aren't open. 
people are, are more open, especially now, than we realize because our our secular culture didn't prepare them for COVID. Yeah, so uh, we're in the middle of COVID, a crazy worldwide pandemic, and much of the world and our social social pardon me social situations are severely disrupted. Everything's been kind of turned on its head. I'm curious about two things. How do you think Christians could use this time of isolation? And do you think this present situation is actually opening up some doors of opportunity that we mm-hmm. might not have had before? Exactly. Excellent, excellent question. How do we use this time of isolation uh, more effectively? <clears throat> you know, I've I have studied revival quite a bit in the past, and that is, it, it revival, that word, it, it was always two things. It was predicated on rather desperate times, and and there was so much upheaval, you know, in, in times in the past, so much upheaval, such desperation, and so what did Christians do? Uh, they where you saw, and, all right, well, well, let me say the two parts. All right, so they, they fell to their knees, they prayed, and they asked God for renewal in faith. And then there's a whole lot to say about that. But then when there was revival, what that led to was first revival in the Christians, renewal in the Christians, and then tremendous evangelism where so many people came to Christ. And I, I feel we are living in a time right now that is one of the greatest opportunities for the gospel I've ever seen. And Christians need to rise up and, and, and recognize this, not just, but, oh, this is so depressing. All right, when we get a vaccine, then, then we'll think about evangelism, you know, but all right. So what do we need to do? The first thing we need is we need revival. We need renewal. That's probably the more appropriate theological word, assuming yeah. we're already Christians. Yeah. We need renewal in faith. And how does that come? The first way it comes is by prayer. And, of course, reading the Word of God. Now, what do we need to do right now in this time of isolation? Now, isolation means so many different things, you know, in terms of how many people can meet and, you know, all of that. But I would suggest we find Christians, like-minded Christians, and say, we need to cry out to God for these desperate times. We need to ask God to come and to ask the, the because what happens in, in renewal revival is that the Holy Spirit comes and brings God's presence at a level that you've never experienced. It's so powerful reading these stories. So what we need to do is we need our own faith renewed. And that comes by prayer, getting together with other Christians by Zoom or social distancing in your back garden or whatever the restrictions are. And do you know what they often, what began? Repenting. Repenting of our own sins first, not repenting of somebody else's sins. And in this divisive political climate, that's what's happened. I'm surprised that there hasn't been uh, revival now, and I think part of the problem is we're 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 accusing um, anybody that disagrees with us, uh, particularly uh, politically. Sure. We need to repent of our own sins first, then we can repent for the church. You know, for not being a vital witness as we should. Within we ask the Holy Spirit, fill us anew. 
Fill us with the love of Jesus. We need power. We need courage. And we need faith. That is one of the most important things I think we need to do right now in this time of isolation. I also think getting ready for the opportunities for witness. Now, that's why I wrote Stay Salt, Mm -hmm. is because I knew we needed something right now for such a time as this. Now, has this present situation opened doors of opportunity? Oh, Joshua, like never before. Mm -hmm. Why do I say this? Because this is where COVID, as awful as it is, has lifted the fog and it's what is the, the it's lifted the fog and it's revealed so many important things we aren't in charge and we never were we're not in control postmodern culture hasn't prepared people to face their anxiety their inadequacy uh, our secular culture hasn't prepared us to face our mortality. We assume we can find our own identity, solve our own problems, be master of our own destinies, and we can't. And it's made us fearful, unsure, causing us to question ourselves and our beliefs. Sadly, I think this also might be true in the Christian community. And that's where why we need to cry out to God in prayer and ask him to help us. So, example. A non-Christian friend of mine called me in the beginning of COVID, and she said, Becky, you know, you know, we've had many conversations about faith, but you know that what I've always said, uh, I don't need that crutch. I respect you, Becky, but I don't need that crutch of God. Mm-hmm. I don't need... Pretty common answer. Um, yeah, exactly. Mm-hmm. And I, I just, uh, I am the master of my destiny. I can do it. She said, Becky, if COVID has taught me anything, it's that if a microscopic organism can halt our planet completely, (laughs) we're not in charge like we thought we were. And she said, I always said to you, I'm my own God. And she said, Becky, you know what's happened? If I'm God of my own life, I'm in big trouble. I said, why? She said, because what kind of God am I that I need to be taking meds for anxiety? Oh, wow. That's not a kind of God that I need. And for the first time, and I've asked her before, she is open to looking at who Jesus is, what he has to say about anxiety, what he has to say about where we get peace. But she's open for the first time. So and uh, and so you can do seeker studies in person. Mm-hmm. Uh, you can do them um, in person if you're following the restrictions. You can do it by Zoom. You know, but that's where you need to ask God. First of all, who are the people that I need to be in touch with, my non-Christian friends? How are you doing? This is an anxiety-producing time. Yeah. I really want to know how you're doing. I want to, and, and even offer, if you can only talk to people, you can't get together, you can talk on the phone. Say, can I pray for you right now? Because I really, I really care about you. Uh, we have got to use what I'm really afraid of is this opportunity is going to pass us by. And that's what I keep asking the Lord. Don't let it pass us by, and then let us pray for revival with unbelievers at levels we've never seen before. Well, that's really interesting there, just that tip saying, like, could I pray for you? Um, How has COVID affected you? Um, Is this causing anxiety in you? Could I pray for you? 
Um, Really good. That could be a good transition into a more spiritual conversation, maybe reopening an older conversation um, that you haven't been able to have with a a friend who would not yet profess faith in Christ for a while. I'm curious, though, um, your books are full of great practical tips on really how to engage in an evangelistic quote or um, uh, approach. Uh, One quote I love I want to ask you about is this. You said, a great conversation skill is being the first to suggest the defenses our unchurched friends have before they do. And I think many people, they're okay at having conversations, but wrestle to transition into spiritual matters. So there's many listening who I know haven't had that first spiritual combo and to say, can I pray for you would be the most awkward thing in the world because they actually haven't ever transitioned into a spiritual combo. Uh, Maybe for fear of what someone would ask or the objections they anticipate the person having. But I'm curious, Becky, how would you coach someone to confidently, effectively go about transitioning a conversation from just everyday ordinary topics into spiritual ones? Yes. Now, that is a very significant part, actually, of, of, of the book when we get into yeah. the message. And I'm looking there at, um, you know, what do we do? What are, how do you get from a natural conversation to a spiritual conversation? Yeah. And I think one of the things we need to do is we need to understand what is that person's passion what is their great interest? Um, now, if it's a student, it's probably, hopefully, what they're studying, you know. Um, like, you know, I was talking to a, a, a student who's, um, was art was, was, was her thing. If you're talking um, uh, to somebody, uh, um, you know, that, that is in their profession, maybe it's a doctor, Mm-hmm. All right, so obviously they want to be able to, to bring healing, um, and I'm not talking about it supernaturally, but to bring healing and health, mm-hmm. you know, uh, that, that would be uh, their, their passion. One of the things I talk about is, you know, I can only just mention a few principles here, but I explain it really well in Stay Salt, and that is, all right, what is their passion? Ask them a question. You could ask them, what is your great passion? What's your interest? For grandparents, it might be their grandchildren, you know. Mm-hmm. I mean, it, everybody's going to say something different. Then what we need to ask in questions, now this is moving from a natural to a spiritual conversation, and again, it's not a gimmick. We're trying to find out what, what they're really interested in. So we, I will spend quite a bit of time usually, not just that, what is your passion or your interest, but asking them to tell me a lot more about it why they chose this, why they love it, etc. And then the, the pivotal thing there um, is, is asking what I would call an issue question or a, a truth question. I'll get to that in a minute. And then that can lead to the God question. All right, let me give an example. I'm yeah, talking to a student, do. and she said to me, um, I said, what, what, what are your, what's your major? And she said, uh, it's art. And I said, oh, I love art. I said, now tell me about that. What do you do? You know, is it portraitures? Is it watercolors? You know, you're whatever. So we talked a long time about how much um, she loves to create. And I said, I want to ask you something. Where did you, you said you'd love beauty? I'm just curious, you know, 
where do you think our notion of beauty comes from? Mm. How are we able to distinguish what is beautiful and what is ugly? And she went, I can't believe that. I've never even asked myself that question, and I'm going to be making a living out of creating beauty. And she said, so where does it come from? Oh, she said, what do you think? Now, often they'll tell me, in that case, she, she said, what do you think? And I said, well, what do you think about the idea? Is there an invisible creator, a God, who is the source of beauty, who created beauty? And she goes, that is absolutely a fascinating thought. I'm not sure what I think of God. Okay, that is how we got into the God conversation. Now, in that case, you know, this may sound more intellectual to... um, to some, because uh, let's say you're in a different age group, et cetera. But that, anyway, that was true for her. Now, I'm doing, we're doing a conference, and I had, when we get to this, how do you go from a natural to a spiritual conversation? I had people sitting in groups based on their um, interest or area of expertise. So there were all these medical doctors, surgeons and GPs and all that sitting at one table. And I said, who is the person that you feel God is guiding you to, you know, to share your life and your faith, not just immediately pressing with the gospel, but your life and your faith. And what is that person's passion? And then I want you to ask questions. What is their passion and why? What is a a truth question or an issue question? And then what might be the God question? So there were three or four questions I asked them to write. The doctors were fascinating. The doctors said, they immediately said, oh, it is a colleague. You know, everybody had a a colleague um, that was also a surgeon. And they said uh, that one of the questions that they asked, that they thought they could ask of this person, you know, not just why did you get into medicine, but the issue question was, how do you deal, how do you give hope to patients who are terminal? Hmm who are going to die. And and the Christian doctor said, that is one of the hardest things for us because people come to us because they're ill, they're sick, and they think of us like gods. And when they're terminal, we usually can't cope. How do you deal with, with patients who are terminal? And do you think, where do you think we could, what is the question, where do, would we find the hope we need to be able, um, to? how do we give people hope when they're desperate? Those kinds of things. Yeah. So anyway, there are ways that we can do this through questions that can open up channels of conversation. Uh, for the gospel, it goes in much more detail, obviously. Yeah, in the book, and I, there's so many more questions that I want to ask you, but of course, your book unpacks these just so wonderfully. Um, kind of maybe one of our last questions here, I'd love to ask you, is um, thinking of the church pastor, the planter, the leader, listening to this interview, wondering how do I go about coaching and better supporting the people in my ministry to share their faith? How would you coach the young pastor, the the leader listening to do that? Yes, uh, we do quite a bit with helping pastors and uh, churches. Um, And in fact, I I spoke uh, in Portland in January to uh, 
uh, an all-day conference that was Portland pastors, and it was all of these issues, you know, would come out. How do we do it? How do we equip? One of the things I always say to the pastor, minister, um, uh, or vicar, whoever, whatever their, their church is, you don't have to be an evangelist. Um, what I always hear from pastors is in clergy is, but I'm not an evangelist. You know, does it, what do I do? You don't have to be. What, what, what you do need to do, though, is the, the vision, casting the evangelistic vision, always starts at the top. Yeah. If it doesn't come from them, it's going to be very hard to cast an evangelistic vision. Yeah, the leaders always so, set the tone and the culture, sure. Exactly, exactly. So what they need to do is be personally engaged in evangelism. Now, that's not easy when they're so busy. Pastor, I have such sympathy for pastors because I've been in Christian ministry all my adult life, and I know how uh, how busy, how many hats they have to wear, but they need to be engaged in personal evangelism in some way. Secondly, they need to share that from time to time mm-hmm. from the pulpit, and it doesn't have to be a success. They, the, the, your people, your congregation, are going to be encouraged to hear you struggle too. Mm-hmm. You don't always find it easy, but you've also seen some things that encourage you. And then get people also who can, uh, you know, for a a ministry moment, give a testimony. Um, And one thing can be very powerful is having somebody who is shy, who would say, it's not my gift, but I, God help me and use me, and then have the person there who has become a Christian through their ministry. Um, You need to do a variety of different types of personalities and different types of giftedness. So it comes from the top. They don't have to be um, evangelists to make that successful, but it is up to them to cast a vision with their staff and with their people. That's the first thing. Second thing, what churches need is they need help in three areas. Or you need, let me put it this way, you need an evangelistic strategy. I've already talked about this, but what's the first? Never has there been a greater need to equip your people in personal evangelism. I am shocked by how many pastors at church after church after church, when I say, uh, let's say they invite me to come and do an evangelistic outreach, which I'm happy to do, but I always say first, tell me if your people have been equipped in evangelism. Now, and they almost always say no. Yeah. And they say, and it's fair, they go, we'd have trouble getting people to even come. If we do anything that's about justice, everybody shows up. Mm-hmm. But, you know, and I say, well, maybe don't use the word evangelism. Say, <laughs> knowing Christ well and making him well known, you know, because it's still evangelism. You're not being deceitful. But the E word is such a difficulty because yeah. the Christians don't understand what it means. So, I, all right, first thing. Equip people. Now, you know, one, there needs to be, I'll tell you what I do a lot, and that is, I've done Stay Salt, of course, I've done the, the, the book, and that can be a great small group thing where they can study, you can use it in small groups. The second thing we've done is called Empowered, and that's video training on evangelism. It's what we've done all over the world, including Seeker Bible Study. Mm. So I would probably start first, if I'm just talking about my own stuff, I would start first, I think, with Stay Salt and get small groups reading it. But then a nice follow-up might be, um, 
the really practical. You know, how do I put this into practice? It's yeah. taking what they're reading and yeah. then really seeing it visually. But they've got to get equipped. Secondly, you need personal evangelism training. Secondly, you need small group evangelism. Now, Alpha, Christianity Explored, they are wonderful tools. But here's the thing most churches don't seem to understand. I've talked about this with Rico Tice, who did Christianity Explored. Mm-hmm. We agree completely. Christianity Explored and Alpha, both out of England, are evangelistic. It's not evangelism training. Very different. They're evangelistic. This is where you bring your non-Christian friends, and they're wonderful. But you need something before that. You need the training of Christians um, so that they're equipped. And one of the that aspect of training, besides personal, is seeker Bible study. Often what non-Christians want, they, they might even be a little leery of video stuff too quickly. They they usually it depends on where the non Christian is, but but if they're pretty far from the kingdom, I would really suggest one to one or a small group of non believers with one or two Christians looking at the gospels. Then what follows that can be Christianity Explored Alpha etc. Thirdly, so equip them in personal, get small group training, and then use the resources available. Thirdly, do evangelistic outreach. Christmas, I'm sure most churches do something uh, at Christmas. But what they lack often is they just do an outreach and then wonder why their church thinks evangelism is only for the professionals. Mm. It's because that's all they've ever seen at church. They've had a professional come in and do an evangelistic outreach. And they go, whoo, praise God, I love their their gift, glad it's not me. (laughs) I don't have the gift. And they miss it entirely. Uh, They need to start. I remember when I first went um, to the UK and I was in, in Cambridge, And Tim Keller had just given this tremendous, uh, it was evangelistic mission to Cambridge. And and it was just tremendous. And, and, but this is the first year I was there. And I've told Tim the story. What did I hear from the Christians afterwards? Oh, wasn't Tim fabulous? I wonder what the fellowship is going to do next year in evangelism. What's Mm. the problem? The problem is we think it's up to the professionals. Yeah. And so we've got to get somebody as gifted as Tim, where what we need to do is, again, get them feeling adequate and dependent upon God in the area of evangelism. They don't have to be evangelists, but equip them. Help them with seeker study, and then your evangelistic outreach is going to be so much stronger and reach so many more people because Christians are going to be bringing their non-Christian friends. Yeah. Oh, wow. I couldn't agree more. I think um, from the, just this has been touched on throughout here, but needs to be modeled from the top, shared from the pulpit, but then also shared throughout the week, led throughout the week so people can see, oh, this is what it looks like to effectively evangelize. We all uh, we all kind of ape it till we make it. We we copy what we see others doing. And if all we're putting forward is that we bring in the big wigs to preach from the straight stage for a come and see event we're not going to raise up a generation of people who want to go and tell. And uh, your books are fantastic at doing that. Even just as a resource, if a church was to buy up 50 books and give them to all their 
their leaders or the entire congregation yeah, or exactly. their, whoever it might be. I mean, that would be such a good start. We would be well, well on our way to becoming more evangelistically effective, if even a simple step like that were to be taken. So, Do you know what, something I just mentioned um, a minute ago, that one of the things that often happens um, is that um, we were just at a really, really big church right before COVID, and they said, we really want to equip our church in evangelism, and we're going to be using... Stay Salt hadn't come out yet, so they said, we're going to be using Empowered, the video thing. Mm. But they said, um, they said, but... but and like in most churches, you know, people have a negative view of evangelism. They don't understand it. They, they they really are confused about what it means. Could you come before we do your series and do uh, um, a—I think I spoke on a Wednesday night, and then I did a Saturday. I came back and did a Saturday, but it was so they could see here— uh, the true picture of evangelism and that they could do it, et cetera. Well, that meant so many more people than wanted to get into these small groups. Now, you can't always do that, obviously, because I can't be everywhere at every place, but that was an interesting example where that really seemed to work. But Joshua, if, if I said anything in closing, it is that evangelism is easier than we think when we use Jesus' approach, mm-hmm. when we and we are learn that we are, uh, it is okay to be weak, and that we have all the resources God has given us, and that that it's easier than we think because God uses us in our weakness, and because this present time is producing an awareness and an emptiness in people, and they're asking questions. But we need to do it the right way. We need to be able to walk alongside and engage in relationship. Secondly, I want to say, evangelism is harder than we may imagine because we have an enemy. And the enemy will do anything to scare us to death, to bring upon, you know, uh, to frighten us. And to to whisper in our ears, you couldn't do that. How do you even think you could do that? And what we need to learn is how to pray, how to rebuke the enemy, how to thank God, keep our eyes up. We're too introspective. We're always looking within. We need to lift our eyes up to God. The enemy can be defeated. So it's easier than we think. It is harder than we imagine. And above all else, God uses us in our weakness. Mm -hmm. If that isn't the most wonderful news, that we don't have to be evangelists, we don't have to be extroverts, we don't have to be perfect, God is delighted to use us as we are. Amen. What a perfect way to end, too. I truly hope listeners will go out and pick a copy up of each of these books uh, we've been talking about, um, Out of the Salt Shaker, Into the World, and Stay Salt, uh, and as well, the video series, Empowered, we've been talking about. I'm going to link to all of these in the show notes, so you can go there and find these. Um, Becky, thank you for all the ways you've served the church and are living your life out, pouring your life out to equip evangelists through your writings and material. It's been a great, great honor to have you on the podcast. Oh, Joshua, thank you so much. I just have loved this time. Well, thanks for tuning into this week's podcast. 
We're going to be taking a break for the month of December um, because me and my family, we're moving to a new town to plant a church. You can find out more about that at praxischurch.ca. But we'll be back in January with a great lineup of guests, including Peyton Jones, who I'm very excited to speak with. Randy Newman, who's going to be speaking on the art of rabbinical questioning. And Gordon Nickel, who recently wrote a Christian commentary on the Quran, who's going to be helping us understand how to more effectively share the gospel with our Muslim friends and neighbors. Looking forward to having you back in early January, so be sure to stay subscribed or go and subscribe if you haven't already so you don't miss this new great content as it drops. Until then, be on the lookout for the missional moments the Holy Spirit might be setting up for you to share your faith, and we look forward to talking with you in January. Thank you.